0: If you would take your Bible today and join me in the book of Romans chapter number eight. Romans chapter number eight. While you're turning in your Bible, I read recently a story, in fact, it was reported on several different news agencies. The article that I read was part of an NBC News article and it took place back, it was presented back on December 3rd, 2009. And again, it was one of the many news agencies that reported this, but they were reporting something that took place with two brothers. And they were in abject poverty. They literally lived in a cave on the outskirts of Budapest. And they would scavenge junk, sell it to eke out some very meager existence. Uh, Their mother had abandoned them years prior and then she had passed and they had lost contact. They had a sister that was living in the United States but hadn't been in contact with her for many years. These two brothers knew that their mother had come from some means, but they had no real connection with additional or extended family members. The mother again was not easy to get along with. She is the one who had abandoned these children and then they just grew up taking care of and fending for themselves. Again, back in 2009, they had a grandmother that they had never connected with personally, but she passed in 2009. That grandmother had a daughter who had also preceded her in death, and there were no other relatives that were immediate relatives, and so those that were handling her estate began a quest for the next of kin. In fact, it was some people that were involved in charity work that took it upon themselves to go in search of these brothers. And the brothers were eventually located as was the sister. And uh, I mean, these are two men that are again, literally living in a cave. And they found out that they were the recipients of an inheritance. And this woman who had died lived in Germany and her estate was worth a staggering $6.6 billion that they were now the recipients of. How many of you have ever received an inheritance for even a meager billion dollars? Not many, I suspect. And in fact, um, like most of you I suspect this would be true for most in this building, most who are connecting through other means, that maybe you have never received any physical inheritance but these men, even while they're living in their rags, they're looking around the the squalor that was theirs. Even as they are in that state, they are those that are in possession of a staggering wealth, $6.6 billion. At the moment that they received the word of their wealth, their position had literally been the same, although their person was radically altered. They were coming into staggering wealth that quite honestly was at that moment already theirs. It was the promise of things very shortly to come. And that is the title of our message today. The promise of things to come. Your Bibles are open right now to Romans chapter number eight. Let's begin reading today and give ourselves some context for this passage and literally for our position. Romans chapter eight beginning in verse number 16. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but we ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. It is, again, the promise of things to come. Now, the Apostle Paul in his writing, who's the human instrument by which God the Holy Spirit wrote these words... He always has this pattern in his writings and quite honestly, it's reflective of our faith. Paul always begins with doctrine before he gets to duty. He always starts us out with, hey, I want you to understand something before he says, here's what I want you to do or here's how I want you to live. And might I add that this pattern is unique to Christianity from all other what we'd refer to as man-made religions you say well you're just you're just biased towards Christianity that's true but it's also a true pattern comparing Christianity to all of man's religions man always begins with this is what you do to get to God and Paul never begins there He says, this is what was done so that you may come to God. He starts with doctrine. He says, this is who you are in the person of Jesus Christ. And now because of this, this is how you live. Now, some people might say, well, wow, I've just found Christianity to be so hard. I would say it, maybe even to a greater extent, Christianity is impossible. Christianity is impossible apart from the person of God, the Holy Spirit, who comes to actually take up residence within you and makes Christianity not this thing that I have to work out, but that God does the work on our behalf. Well, Jesus said it very plainly. He contrasts two different ways of living, two different lives. In John chapter three, Jesus said it this way. He said, that which is born of the flesh Is flesh, he's saying, listen, that which is born of the flesh is always going to be the same. It's always going to be flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is always going to be consistent with itself. That which is born of the spirit. So the flesh is always going to be flesh. The spirit is always going to be spirit. And what Paul starts to do now, rather than say, hey, listen, if you're going to come to God, you can't do this. You can't do this and you can't do this. He says, don't, and you have done. That sin has separated you from God. And now he gets to this point in Romans chapter 8. Some have called it the most beautiful chapter in all the Bible. Such a radical turn of events. We now become the recipients of this incredible inheritance. He starts it out with, there is therefore now no condemnation. Now the Apostle Paul brings us to the place where he says, okay, You can't have done this. This is impossible apart from the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We know what we were doing. We know what we were like. We know we were separated from God. And now he says, okay, but the person who now is in possession of, you have right now at this very moment, the person of the Holy Spirit. Here's what life looks like for you. So with that in mind, let's begin with a, an outline that really is hinged on sonship. That is not, I, I mean that we are all children of God, men, women, boys, girls. There is some sense of I am now an adult child with all the rights and privileges that come along with my sonship in Jesus Christ. So first of all, what do I already have? When a person passes from death to life, they come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. They recognize that they are sinners separated from God. And Jesus paid the price for their sin. It's why he died on Calvary. I accept his gift, his offer of salvation. Well, what do I have then? Well, now I have sonship. What does this look like? Well, it looks like spirit-led sonship. Spirit-led sonship. Before we talk about this, this Spirit-led life and all that that means, so that there's no doubt about it, the Holy Spirit of God is the one who is about to bear witness to the same. He's gonna say, hey, listen, I'm just um, agreeing with that position. The Bible says it this way. Romans eight sixteen. we looked at this. The Bible says the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. I love that word, that we are the children of God. He bears witness with our spirit. We are something that we were not before. The the verb that's used there, we are the children, children of God. It is present, active, indicative. It's telling us that this action is done. It is secured. We are the children of God. And not only is this verse saying that we are something that we weren't before, now you're part of his family. The Holy Spirit is also bearing witness with our spirit saying the same thing. Okay, now listen, maybe you've heard this verse before and I think there is a truth to this, but I don't think it's all of it. Many times we say the spirit bears witness with our spirit. In other words, he is telling you, you belong to me. I do believe there's a truth to that, but I don't know that that's exactly what this verse is saying. If you look at the the Greek word, the one that bears witness with, it actually means that he is a double witness to. In other words, you're saying, hey, listen, I trusted Christ. I belong to you. And the Holy Spirit comes along and he says, that is exactly correct. I am a witness to the same. You have proclaimed Jesus Christ as your own. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside and says, amen. That is exactly the truth. It's as if there is a double witness to the fact that you belong to almighty God. Now, some of you have done this before and and I have done this. A couple years ago, I was asked to testify in a court of law regarding someone who needed a character witness. This was a couple in our church and and they'd been cut off on the interstate. In fact, the car cut them off, knew what it did. It resulted in a rollover accident. It was a very serious accident. Well, other people saw what happened. They got information regarding the vehicle that caused it. And through the course of a lot of litigation, it came to a point where there was a court trial. Well, the, the, the attorney for the defendant tried to paint the couple that I was going to go and be a character witness for as very bad people. That they're just trying to manipulate a situation to their own benefit. And so I was called as a character witness. I stood before a judge. I swore to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. I was set on the stand and I was presented with their attorney who began to not only accuse them, but in a some way, shape and form, accuse me well, what did I do? I just continued to say, no, that's not true. No, 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 that never happened. I've never seen that to be the case. And I continue to be a witness to what they had already said. Let, let me ask you, what kind of a person is your adversary? That's what I, I felt like this person who was questioning me had become. He was adversarial, questioning their character, questioning their story, questioning their legitimacy. What kind of an adversary do we as followers of Jesus Christ actually have? The Bible says our adversary, the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He wants to chew you up and spit you out. And do you know what the Holy Spirit does as a witness? because of your sonship, you say, well, 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 I'm saved. And the Holy Spirit comes along and say, I give testimony to that. I give witness to the fact that you do in fact belong to Almighty God and you are a full child that has all the benefits, all the rights, all the standing of the same. Remember, the moment you were saved, God, the Holy Spirit, actually took up residence inside your body. And he said, I'm never leaving. In fact, when we start to look at what Paul said, even in our own passage, look at verse number 11. He said, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell, do you notice the next word, in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in in you. So then what does this mean for me as a child of God? Okay, so the Holy Spirit dwells in me. Well, what does that mean for me? So so okay, so when I got saved, when I passed from death to life, well, I got the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, f- first of all a couple things. First of all, it means that we are led by the Spirit. We are led by the Spirit. This doesn't mean that I'm driven. It doesn't mean that I am coerced. It doesn't mean that I am manipulated. Hey, hey, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean I become some little puppet on a string. It doesn't even mean that I am overwhelmed by the Spirit and I can't even control myself. It doesn't say that. It says we are then those that are indwelled. He lives in me. We are led by the Spirit. Romans 8, verse number 14 says this For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Now, in the previous section in Romans, we heard the expression, walk not after the flesh but walk after the Spirit. So walking in the Spirit or walking after the Spirit does have to do with obedience to the Word and the will of God, our submission to Him. It is opposite of resisting Him, grieving Him. We might even ask today a good question for any and all of us to ask, am I at this moment, am I resisting, am I grieving? You say, well, what does that really mean? Well, resisting him, that would be what we'd call a sin of omission. Let's ask it this way. Has the Holy Spirit ever said, I want you to do this. This is something you should be involved in. I want you to participate. I want you to give to. I want you to say this. I want you to write that note. Has the Holy Spirit ever told you to do something and you said no? I know what you said, but I don't want to do that. I'm nervous about that. I'm afraid to do that. I I don't know if I can do that. And you say, no. That's what we would refer to as resisting the Holy Spirit. A sin of omission. He's inviting you to follow his leading and you say no. Grieving the Holy Spirit. This, This is a different matter. Grieving him is a sin of commission. I committed something and it grieved him. It hurt the Holy Spirit. This is doing what he is leading you not to do. He says, don't watch that. He says, don't say that. He says, don't do that. He says, don't wear that. He says, don't, and you fill in the blank. He says, no, don't. And we say, yes, I do whatever. That now is grieving the Holy Spirit. He hasn't invited us to do something and we don't. That would be resisting. He has asked us not to do something and we've said, yes, I'm going to. That is grieving the Holy Spirit. Being led by the Spirit, certainly similar to what we'd refer to as walking in the Spirit. But I will add or note there may have some additional connotation Some of the more subtle aspects of the Christian life and our interaction with the Holy Spirit. One of the things we see all throughout scripture is that God delights to give clear direction to his children. Hey, listen, sometimes we wonder, am I really doing what God the Holy Spirit is leading me or asking me to do? Listen, God doesn't want to to leave us in this land of uncertainty. He wants us to know I am being led by the Spirit. So again, all throughout scripture, for example, he made it very obvious to the children of Israel. He's leading them out of Egypt and and how is he doing so? In really obvious ways. Listen, even a child could know, oh, God's leading us in this direction. There was a cloud by day, this pillar of a cloud. So the children of Israel, all they have to do is look and if the cloud, the pillar moves, they follow. At night, it's a pillar of fire by night, that the pillar of fire is right here. If it ever moves, we're supposed to move too. There's no uncertainty about this. In in like the same fashion, God wants his children without confusion, but with clarity, with, with clear acknowledgement that God is leading. And today, while the practical aspect of God's leading may look different, the principle of his leading remains the same. God desires to lead with clarity his children. And he does so today through his word and through the leading of his Holy Spirit. Now, before we go into some almost, forgive this, almost silly examples. Before we go into that, let me say that the leading of the Holy Spirit and the walking of the Holy Spirit in accordance with his word will never disagree. Let me say that again. Don't ever use this idea of, well, I just have peace. No, 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 you can't have peace if your actions are going in a manner inconsistent with the word of God, because the word of God, the walking in the spirit will always be consistent with the leading of the spirit. So how do I wanna walk in the spirit, obey the known word and will of God? Well, what's it mean then to be led by the Spirit? Because the Bible might not address this or, or might not say this. It, it might not give me any indication about this. Well, this is why I think it's, it's another more subtle aspect of being led by the Spirit that, that may be a little different than just walking in the Spirit. Here's a couple simple examples. This last... Um, this last week I was preaching at a conference in Michigan it was a large teachers convention so a lot of teachers gathered together for this convention and there were it was it was one of their larger teacher conventions they anticipated just over a thousand teachers gathered together there were actually just over 1300 that had assembled it was a wonderful conference well Julie and I were there and the conference hadn't started and, and we're on the ninth floor of a uh, convention center or a hotel and we went to the um we went to the elevator we're standing there we're we're going to go down I'm about to preach at the opening general session there are teachers that are gathered there I don't know them and they don't know me but I'm standing there and there was a lady she was in her late 60s she was um grandmotherly So I looked at her, she just has this pleasant look on her face and then she says in this unique accent. Now I didn't know the accent at first but I came to learn that she was from Romania. And she just looks and she has this beaming smile on her face. She doesn't know me, she doesn't know I'm the speaker or anything like that and and I don't know her but we're standing around with other teachers waiting for the uh, elevator and she looks and she says, are we ready for a good time? And I looked at her and and uh, like, well, wow, ready for a good time. I mean, here we are at a convention. And she just says, are we ready? Now, this is a grandmother saying this, okay. Are we ready for a good time? And I said, well, I guess we are, you know. And then we got on the elevator. I said, what's your name? And she said, Rodika. And I said, oh, you're going to have to say that again. Because she said it so fast and with this little flourish. And I said, you're going to have to say that again. What, what, what's your name? And she said, "Rodica." Rodika. And I said, okay, uh, Rodica, no, 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 Rodica. Okay, so, so I, got, I got her name and I said her name and she just has this beaming smile. So the conference started, she and I talked on the elevator, it started and I went up to preach and I said, hey, when you teachers get together, sometimes there's just some, I don't know, almost junior high-ishness about you. And they all laugh like junior highers, they're all kind of giggly and giddy because there's no students and right then life is good. Okay, so. So they're all just laughing and they're, they're excited. And I said, I want you to know, I got on the elevator today. I met someone and, said, and I said, in fact, where is Rodika? And Rodika stood up and she's standing, you know, kind of right over here. And she stands, she still has that beaming smile on her face. And I said, Rodika got on the elevator today. And um, just before she said, are we ready for a good time? And when I said that, all the teachers are like, yes, you know. Well, that, that was it. I mean, we all laughed and Rodika, she's just standing there as proud as punch. Big smile on her face. And she sat down and, and the service commenced and we went through it. That night I went for a walk and who do I see walking on the streets of Kalamazoo um, just walking with some other people? It is Rodika. And I said, ah, Rodika. and no, actually I didn't say that. I said, oh, how do you say your name again, you know? <laughs> Rodica, yes, Rodica. And she says, I told God, if I see you, I'm going to tell you. She said, you don't know how special it was that you, you recognized me. You said, are you ready for a good time? She said, I just came from Texas where my brother is very ill. And she begins to unfold the story of of the challenges that she has been in she said I am standing at the elevator and I am thinking Lord I am here I need to be encouraged and I know I am in a place where I'm going to be instructed and encouraged and lifted up now she doesn't know I'm the speaker I don't know her we don't know each other but she says to me are we ready for a good time she says, when you had me stand up, she said, it was just another confirmation that God was going to encourage me through this conference, and he has been so good to me. I, I find it interesting that, that such chance meetings are something more than just chance how am I standing at an elevator and, and hear this grandmotherly Romanian woman say, are we ready for a good time? If it is not designed and intended as one who is led by. This is, this is forgive the silliness of it. And I know it's overstated and, and I know my wife says, you say that all the time. I don't know if you know this or not, but I like rhubarb, okay sorry. (laughs) I preached that first general session. When I finished the message, the the moderator, the pastor stands and and I'm walking down and he says, no, 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 Brother Redland, stay here. And so I I come back and you never know what's going to happen. And he said, um, I called around the area because I heard that you like rhubarb. And now I'm quite interested in what's about to take place. And he said, and and do you know that no one, none of the bakeries up here, nobody, I, I called several, nobody makes just a rhubarb pie. Now listen, in the sermon, I know this is strange to you, but I actually mentioned rhubarb in the sermon that day. Weird, I know, okay. I mentioned it and I said something I never say, I never say this. Because I like strawberry rhubarb pie. But in that sermon, I said, you know, I, I like strawberry rhubarb pie. But let me tell you, I also, my favorite is just straight out rhubarb custard pie. I said, that is where it really is. And I'm up in Michigan where rhubarb grows beautifully, okay? So I'm talking about this. And I'm talking about not strawberry rhubarb, rhubarb custard pie. And... Um, And he comes up he says I called around he says do you know that they don't make just a rhubarb I couldn't find anybody that makes just a rhubarb pie rhubarb custard pie and he said so I called a lady in our church and I said Kathy do you know how to make a rhubarb custard pie and he said as soon as I said this to her she lit up on the phone she said it is my husband's favorite pie And her husband had just departed. He had just died. She's a recent widow. And when he said, do you know how to make rhubarb custard pie? Yes! It's my husband's favorite pie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely I can make a pie. She was delighted to make the pie. And he's telling us this story and he says, I have for you here today. And I had just in the sermon said, now, now really it's not strawberry rhubarb pie. Can you imagine if that poor lady had made a strawberry rhubarb pie? <laughs> she, she made a rhubarb custard pie. And he says, Kathy made for you a rhubarb custard pie. She texted the next morning. The, the pastor and his wife, she texted, did he like the pie? Did he like the pie? <laughs> let, let me ask you, is it some, some fluky thing that I said? Now, not strawberry rhubarb. I don't want to make too much of this, but is it, is it too much to believe that the Holy Spirit of God is interested in a Romanian grandmother... And, and somewhat desirous to see Jesus glorified even through some chance meeting at an elevator or to, to be confirmed with the fact that the Holy Spirit does want us to walk according to his word but he also leads us in ways that are far more nuanced and causes us without our knowledge, without some preconceived plan, without some hey this is what I'm going to do to get Not any of that, it's just some statement for someone who has a reasonable expectation that God's children should be, in fact, led by the Spirit. I'm walking out of my my Bible study group this morning. I'm walking out of that that room and I walk into this hallway with, with hundreds of people passing through part of the thousands that are gathered here today at Campus Church. And who do I see? I see Blake and Cam, two men that are seated right over here. And I see Blake and Cam and they are two guests that I met yesterday at our special event. And and they were invited to church and I walk out and there they're standing right there walking in this, this mass of people. And I said, hey, 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 hey. And and they're like, oh, hey, we know someone here, you know. Come on, let me get you some seats. Yeah, come, we'll we'll sit right over here. How does that happen? Is it possible that God, the Holy Spirit, leads his children in ways that you and I could never on our own accomplish? What is it that we have to expect as the children of Almighty God? That we are, in fact, led by God spirit that's yours we, we we will not have time to go through all of this but do you know more than led by the spirit do you know what else you have right now and this is just the promise of even more to come as sons you're not only led by the spirit you are loved by the father the father God loves you For we have not received, Romans 8, 15, the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Did you notice how these words are coupled together? Abba, Father. It's not just a repeat of the same thing. Abba it's the cry of an infant the simple helpless utterance of unreasoning trust I don't have to have a reason to trust you you are my papa you you don't have to fill in the blanks on why I can jump into your arms you you don't have to have some explanation why I can fall asleep and rest in your presence I don't have to have that why not because that's my papa and he just says, the Spirit, as sons of God, you have the opportunity to say, Papa. And he says, and you, you have this official title. No Jew would ever have dared dream to come before God Almighty, Jehovah Jireh, the great I Am, with the term Father. But he says, no, 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 you are now sons And you come to me and not only say Papa, but you come to me in such a term Father. It's not just this reiteration of Abba. It's the relationship intelligently realized by the one who utters it. It's a word of family confidence, communion, obedience, answering to and expressing the enjoyment of the complacent love of God the Father. This is the privilege that we have as sons. What do I have coming So much more, so much more. You know, at times we start to think, well, what do I have in in this position? I mean, man, it's not easy to live the Christian life. No, remember, it's impossible to live the Christian life. Well, what do I I get out of this? Wow, what do you get? It's as if we were living in the squalor of the cave and something radical, Took place to our position. I am changed from one who is in abject poverty to one who is in possession of absolute wealth. This is the change of my position because I have passed literally from separation to God. I I, I have no ability to pass over that chasm that is between us. There is, in fact, this great gulf fixed and And then I came to learn about one whose name is Jesus. Jesus who who took on him the iniquity of us all. He became the sin bearer. He took my shame. He took my iniquity. He took my judgment and he bore it upon himself. He, He bridged the chasm between man and God And through the cross, I can walk over now and say, I accept what Jesus did. Let me ask you, have you ever accepted that? Have you ever passed from separation, death, to no separation, life? Many in here would say, pastor, I have. Then there is therefore now no condemnation, not even the hint, not even the possibility, no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, when God looks at Jesus, you are hidden in him. And guess what else took place? Not only are you now in Christ Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, has taken up residence in you. And guess what you have? Because now you have some radical thing that's happened. What do I have? I have Spirit-led Sonship. You are led by the Spirit. And praise God, you are loved by the Father. There's more to come. In the weeks to come, we will continue to mine. What do we have in Jesus Christ today? May we conclude this sermon with the understanding that I, in fact, am led by the Spirit.